coming soon from the Fire and Water Podcast Network. You got the touch. You got the power. Yeah! Rob Kelly hosts Rodimus Rob. A Transformers podcast. Uh, as revenge, I'm going to do a Transformers episode, and I will bring to it every bit of enthusiasm that you might expect that I have for the characters. Uh, chap, page one. Uh, this one box is talking to this other box. <laughs> page two, this box hits this other box, and they yell. And then page three, it turns into a truck or something. And then page four, the box turns into a picnic basket. And page five, the end. Nuclear subs. Transform and roll out! Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Crossing the Streams, a Ghostbusters podcast. I'm Ryan Daly. And I'm Nathaniel Wayne. We have got a great episode for you tonight. Our topic is biggest tools of the Ghostbusters movies. And by tool, we do not mean the PKE meter. <laughs> Plus, we will end the show with another installment of We've Got One. But first, some Ghostbusters news. Wait, I, actually, before we do the news, should we mention the listener feedback thing? Actually, yeah. Get, get, that, get that out of the way? That's a good idea. We'll do that. Um, as you no doubt noticed from listening to the show, we have not done listener feedback in a while. Now, you guys I have think it held... was episode 10 was the last time I we did it. I think you're right. <laughs> you guys listening, you have held up your end of the bargain. You guys have been great. The social media feeds, likes, uh, favorites on Twitter, retweets, uh, comments on the website, everything has been great. We Somebody even did a Google Plus at us. That's just weird. I know. <laughs> uh, and we have been remiss in our dude. We haven't kept up with that, but that is going to change. In fact, it's going to change next episode. Yes. Yeah, so because we have been so lax with this, we're devoting an episode just to that. Next episode <laughs> is going to be just us dealing with listener feedback, responding to you guys, sharing the thoughts that you shared with us, and just you know making up for lost time, really. Right. I have a feeling a lot of that is going to be dedicated to one of uh, Chuck Coletta's emails he sent us. He wrote a very lengthy email after our episode, what was it, uh, episode 16, when we did our, cover, our, we did our commentary track on the Ghostbusters reboot. Kind of took us both to task, which I, I didn't think was fair, because we said up front we each had our biases. Yes. It. Although, I mean... Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll make our case when we get to that. But at, at the very least, he didn't call us misogynist. So there's that. Did not, because that wasn't my problem. I, <laughs> I mean, we talked about it, and we'll, again, this will all be next episode. You had issues with it being a fresh reboot instead of just a sequel, which yep. would have made much more sense. My biggest thing going into it was they're, they're calling this New York City, but it's <laughs> shot in Boston. Why not just set it in Boston? I mean, yeah. Boston's a great city with kind of a history of ghost stories and paranormal stuff. But anyway, we're we're I just, okay. next time, next time, next get time. over there. Okay, okay. So on to Ghostbusters news. Um, pretty much the one thing that's kind of jumped out in terms of movie news was by the time you hear this, uh, last week or two weeks ago, around March twenty first, I think, Ivan Reitman, co-creator, sort of co-creator, the producer, the director of the first Ghostbusters movies, and who's sort of still kind of the shepherd of the franchise to one extent or another. I, t 
I, I feel like he kind of has nothing else to do with his time, so he just he just hops on to the the latest bit of what's going on with Ghostbusters. Hey, you want to interview me? He has his own little office at Sony that's called Ghost Central or something like that. But uh, he it, it would be Spook Central, Spook Central. If, if they're trying to be accurate here. Good point. Yeah. Um, he had uh, he gave an interview to IO9, I think it was, where they were basically just like, what is the future of the Ghostbusters franchise? And he talked about, you know, obviously they wished that uh, the reboot in 2016 had had a bigger return. And to be fair, I did too, because for all my issues, I would like them to have had the chance to do it better. Me too. Yeah, yeah we both said that. I, I wish it had gotten a sequel because I think they could have gotten enough of the kinks out with that first one. And mm. I, I think a sequel would have been better. But he... I thought his language was kind of funny in the interview. Like, he sort of mentioned up front that the movie that they released wasn't what he would have done with it and kind of wasn't quite throwing shade at Paul Feig, but sort of laid the blame for whatever failures it, it was on his while not quite being as overt as that. I, th I think it might have been a more backhanded, hey, Sony, if you want to give it back to me, I, you gave me an office already. <laughs> that that might have actually been what he was going for. Um, but he, is, he has mentioned that he is still very much involved in the Ghostbusters franchise because there's a couple of new like multimedia aspects that Ghostbusters is doing. There's a brand new comic series coming out. There's a new virtual reality experience called Ghostbusters VR uh, now, now Hiring. hiring. Now hiring. Um, which kind of puts you in the, the virtual reality of a, a new recruit. If the extent to which it makes you feel like a Ghostbuster is anything like that VR Batman thing made you feel like <laughs> like Batman, insofar as it was like taking a CD-ROM tour <laughs> through the Batcave, except it was glued to your head. I'm sorry, my, my expectations for anything VR-related are very, very low. I'm kind of there with you, but in, at least for a nostalgic kick, it sort of looks like you're kind of back in, maybe, I don't know. Look, I don't own VR stuff, but you know what? If I had a friend who had it and they happened to have this, yeah, okay, I, I would... I would pester them till they let me try it. I'll own up to that. Okay. But getting back to the movie stuff, uh, Reitman did say that they hope plans progress and they will get a sequel or they will make more live action movies. But he didn't get into details, probably because there are no details to get into at this point. Yeah. Sony's just kind of on the fence. However, one thing that he has been working on for at least a year, and again, the fate of this is uncertain, was a animated feature. Yeah. Which... It's one of those things I wish I had more information on because I don't know how to feel about it because on that premise, onto you know, as a very vocal, huge fan of the real Ghostbusters and actually even enjoyed like some of the extreme Ghostbusters stuff. I'm all of, I'm all in favor of the Ghostbusters in animated form, but I need to know more about what that means. Like, are they trying to do the original characters again in animated form with impersonated voices? Are they, is it a whole new cast in animated form? Like, I want to know more about what we're dealing with here. I do too, because not only has he talked about an animated feature, potentially more live action features, back in, I think, 2015, so like a year before the movie came out, there was rumor that Sony wanted to do a new Ghostbusters animated series. Ghostbusters Ecto... Ecto-Force. Ecto-Force, uh, which would be set in the future. Again, I, I think it's been more than a year since there's been any word on this. See, the thing but, is... Well, so in the interview, like, Ivan Reitman said in his mind, all of this makes sense. And he has a way of making this all kind of coexist. So whether the animated feature would be characters that we've already known from the live-action movies, one or the other, or original characters, in his mind, it kind of sounded like he was figuring out a way for these all to sort of gel as one thing. And and that's fine. The thing is is my 
My hangups on this have a lot more to do with Sony than they have to do with him. And these, these announced projects I'm not uninterested in, but I only have to look so far as what Sony has done with Spider-Man to know that just because they've announced they're working on something doesn't mean that it is A, well thought out, or B, will ever happen. I mean, how many ancillary Spider-Man things were announced, dropped, some now appearing to be resurrected, some hopefully are dead and buried, but I mean, one thing you can't accuse Sony of Unlike uh, Warner Brothers and their DC properties, when Warner Brothers announces something, they stick to it no matter how bad of a, no matter how badly the train is going off the rails, they're still sticking to their plan. Sony is much more fair weather. Sony is much quicker to jump ship. I will say, and I didn't even think about this until now, but uh, Sony's original announcement about an Aunt May movie, mm -hmm. I would be more interested in that with Marissa Tomei as the lead than Sally Field. Just throwing that out there. Okay, yes. Actually, <laughs> actually, I would be back on board with that premise if we went, if they went there. Um, okay, so, I mean that's, I mean that interview pretty much was Ghostbusters related news. So we can, I think we're gonna, we're gonna take a promo break. Got a couple of uh, podcast promos to throw at you folks, and then uh, we'll be back to just you know talk about tools. It's not what you think. server flashes a small blood red one in its inbox folder a man checks the message and he is horrified by what he sees this man is a podcaster a simple man with modest goals to produce free entertainment for the world to enjoy to provide a moment's respite from a dark cruel world but this man is bedeviled by a sinister force that lurks on the internet, waiting to strike by delivering withering, venomous criticism in the form of innocent internet commentary. This podcaster is Rob Kelly of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, and this pool of malevolence is named Diabolu Frank. Pushed beyond the breaking point, Rob Kelly decides to turn the tables on Diabolu Frank. He will scour the darkest corners and blindest alleys of the internet to find and confront his tormentor. This podcast is that journey. This podcast is Finding Frank. Podcaster Rob Kelly was a frequent victim of Diablo Frank's venom. Finding Frank is Rob's search for Frank. And the deeper he digs, the stranger it gets. Hi folks, my name is the Irredeemable Shag, and I love movies. And recently, some guy who runs another movie podcast on the Fire and Water Podcast Network, <clears throat> well, anyway, he wouldn't let me appear on his show to cover one of my favorite movies, Twister. Apparently, that movie isn't good enough for him. And I'm like, what? Twister? Seriously? 
The late, great Bill Paxton? Helen Hunt? So hot. Star Wars references? Philip Seymour Hoffman? Alan Ruck? Jamie Gertz? Amazing special effects? Heck, the wind noise is practically another character. This movie is gale force hot! So, I decided I'm going to host my own movie podcast. Coming soon. The Fire and Film Podcast. Get it? Huh? That's nice. We'll tackle all the action films, hot chicks, unnecessary sequels, and lowbrow comedies that you love. Such as... Independence Day. Awesome special effects. Will Smith kicking ass, Jeff Goldblum, the smoking hot Vivica Fox, Bill Pullman as president? This movie is alien extinction level hot. Wild Things. Sexy Nev Campbell and scorching hot Denise Richards naked in a hot tub? This one is boiling hot. House 2, the second story. This is what Kingdom of the Crystal Skull could have been. And John Ratzenberger should have won an Oscar for his minor role as Bill Tanner, electrician and adventurer. This movie is definitely hot. Tropic Thunder. Napalm level hot. Steel Magnolias. Um, sure, honey, if, if you want to watch it. I mean, it's not really my kind of movie, but anything for you, sweetheart. Dude, where's my car? Hot. Speed 2, Cruise Control. Hot. Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Hot. The Night the Reindeer Died. Hot. Battlefield Earth. Um, no, not hot. Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. Hot. Showgirls. Hot. Die Hard 2. Die Harder. Hot. Ghostbusters 2. Hot. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Hot. Fast and the Furious. Hot. Fast and the Furious 2. Hot. Fast and the Furious 3. Hot. Fast and the Furious 4. The Fire and Film Podcast. It's gonna be hot. Now it's time for 60 Second Horror Storybook Corner with your host, The Phantom Stranger. Good evening. Men call me the Phantom Stranger. What the women call me is something else entirely. Mere mortals, turn off your media players if you do not wish to subject yourselves to the heart-stopping terror that permeates the tale I am about to tell. For tonight, on 60 Second Horror Storybook Corner, I will share with you the most frightening tale I have ever shared on the program to date— one insured to make even the most steadfast mortals to blanch with fear. Indeed, this story is even more terrifying than the chilling account about the revenge of the leftover chicken, which impelled the recording studio crew to evacuate the building as well as their bladders. The order of said evacuation varied by the individual, of course, some of whom managed to do both concurrently. 
So if you can restrain your thumping hearts, come with me, the Phantom Stranger, if you dare, as we explore tonight's tragic and terrifying tale of a man firmly planted in logic and logical explanations, unaware that his entire life is about to become horrifyingly uprooted. Our story begins with a blood-curdling scream that escaped from the luxurious lips of... This has been 60 Second Horror Storybook Corner, with your host, The Phantom Stranger. Next time on 60 Second Horror Storybook Corner. Yes, and I simply do not understand how I'm expected to jump right into that story without an appropriate preamble. Not to convey a trigger warning by any means, but to simply set the mood, the horrific ambiance, as it were. An appetizer to establish a predisposition among the audience to get the hearts thumping with anticipation of impending terror. They should not expect any less from I, the Phantom Stranger. So with that out of the way, let us begin our terrifying tale with the... Damn it. Our main topic of discussion tonight is the biggest tool in the Ghostbusters films. Now, by tool, we're not talking about the equipment. We're not talking about their gear. We're actually talking about characters. We're talking about the big jerks. Let's not mince words. The assholes in the Ghostbuster movies. And more often than not, we're talking about bureaucratic government tools. Yeah, that's they, they take up a good chunk of this list. And and what we we've come up with five mm-hmm. that we're gonna talk, although one of these I kind of dispute, but you're you're gonna you're gonna make an argument here. You know, I'm, I'm I will be quick to take him off the list. I just wanted to bring up an important part about him that I like. So, all right, well, we'll we'll get to that. But I mean, if, if we're talking tools and Ghostbusters, let's just let's just start initially talking. We can talk about maybe how to rank these guys at the end. Mm-hmm. But let's just start with the name, <laughs> Dickless, <laughs> Walter Peck, from the original, from the EPA, and just. Yeah. I mean... William Atherton and his mighty beard. (laughs) And he was so good at this type of role that he basically did it again in a couple of Die Hard movies. Yes. Uh, Yeah, he's just so good. And he is the voice of sort of the government. And you talked about this with Rob Kelly on one of the Fun Water podcasts. Of He represents the EPA. Is the movie making a commentary about the EPA? Not necessarily. I don't. I don't think they I are. Think, I, I mean, my my feeling has. He been, could have represented any government agency. He, yeah, he could have been from any government agency. First of all, second of all, I think he just represents people who are assholes about their job. Yes, and and, 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 that, and wield their tiny little sliver of authority like a sledgehammer. And that's kind of the point of the tools and why we see them in every one of these movies. Mm. Is there is that character type that is has nothing to do with the supernatural. Has nothing to do with ghost possession, paranormal. Nothing. It's just the the voice of. The the skeptic that doesn't believe in this crap and is going to stand in the hero's way with, yeah, just that minuscule amount of authority that they have that is actually going to present some kind of problem for the plot. Now, part of what's interesting about Walter Peck, I think, is that he, at the beginning, while he gives off an immediate, this guy's an asshole vibe, because mm-hmm. William Atherton is great at that, right. initially he's not completely unreasonable in what he's asking for. But when Venkman brushes him off as... Casually and honestly, dickishly, Fengman's kind of a dick too. Sure. Um, when he comes back, as soon as he actually has some weight behind his words, 
the turn and just how nasty he is that second time he shows up waving his warrant around saying i don't care if you tell me that this is about to blow something up we're shutting this down now it is kind of cowardly and it's kind of weaselly but in the reverse of what you normally see normally the cowardice would be revealed later but it's when you think back on it and realize he didn't have his balls until he had the cop standing next to him yeah yeah that's a good point and, and i think you're right i'm pointing out the first scene his first interaction with legman my first, like, my initial read of it, before I really knew, like, the stakes, I was kind of like, you know, he's, this isn't unreasonable. I'm kind of sympathetic. I, and Murray or Venkman in the scene is really kind of, it, is this deserved? Is his animosity towards this character, like, seemed to kind of go overboard. But then it turns out to be justified, or maybe there's some causality there. Maybe it's because of how... I, I, I... Peck holds a grudge. And actually, when we when we get to talking about the rankings, I'm going to bring something else up, but I'm, I'm not going to bring it okay. up here. Right. Um, so okay. next up, Moving on. We've, got, we've actually got several from the second film. We do. And I'll throw out right now that I put Janos Poha, Dr. Janos Poha, uh, played wonderfully by Peter McNichol on this list, knowing that he would be disqualified. Yeah, this this is the one I, I you showed me the list and I kind of scratched my head. And I'll be upfront because I, as soon as I put him on the list, I was like, no, he doesn't fall into the arrogant tool, authoritative prick type of category. He is much more the counterpart to the first movie's Louis Tully. Mm. He is the slightly annoying, like side to the to the Dana Barrett, the love interest yeah. character. The he kind of clings to her and ends up getting possessed and becoming a supernatural threat later on in the movie to one degree or another. I mean, Lewis wasn't really a threat, but he did turn into a dog. And Yeah. But, so, but the, the reason I wanted to put Janos on this list is just because of one of his very first lines in the movie. And it's, it, I know it's from Ghostbusters too, but it might be my favorite line in all of Ghostbusters. It's when he's like supervising the different art restorers in his, in his realm. And he looks at one and just goes, everything you're doing is bad. I want you to know this. <laughs> and then he walks away. And so I, I just wanted to revisit that line and give that one a shout out because it's such, yeah. it's one of my favorite parts of all of Ghostbusters. And I mean, let, let's be, and talking the ones from Ghostbusters 2, you're probably going to have more to say than I, than I am because you did what I am unwilling to do, which was rewatch at least parts of Ghostbusters 2 to, sure. to yeah, brush yeah. up on these characters, which I, I will not do. But yeah, uh, I... For the sake of getting to point out that that line is a very good line, very well delivered, fine. I will immediately now strike him. But he my doesn't belong. Yes, he doesn't belong on the list. Characters who do belong on the list, though, mm -hmm. uh, we've got. Well, there's the judge, right? The judge who they just refer to the hammer. I don't yeah. think he has a name. Um, <laughs> judge the hammer. <laughs> and watching this again, who he is an ass. Yeah, he he's, is. There's nothing likable about this guy. I, like it's one of those things that it pushes credulity because my my like I, I didn't I didn't think this as a kid but as an adult thinking back on it my immediate thought is kind of this would get thrown out this this would be granted a retrial so fast it, based on judge bias it doesn't push credulity it breaks it with a hammer ha <laughs> ha um, no I, I'm watching it again I was like. This guy is cartoonish. This guy is like ridiculous. And he's not even like aware of his surroundings as like the things are moving, like the slime is bubbling up as he's shouting and he has no idea what is in front of him. And they did kind of have to bend over backwards to say that there was this judicial restraining order against the Ghostbusters for practicing. It's like everybody saw what happened in the first one. Why are they making this big deal about not believing in ghosts? So, yeah. But he's a really big prick and he does actually, uh, well, 
up to the point where you say, yes, this would this court would be this trial would be appealed so damn quickly. But other than that, his threat is legitimate. And yes. the danger that he poses to these guys, because he's ordering he's sending them to jail yeah. until they bail him out. Yeah. So he's he's a you know, we, we talk about them these these characters wielding small amounts of authority, you know, haphazardly. He has the most significant amount of authority mm-hmm. of any of these these people that we're go- that we're going to talk about now, and probably the least redeeming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would say so. Now, here's something that this doesn't really have to do with him, but it's it's in my head now because we're talking about him, meaning we're talking about that scene. How would that? I it and even as a kid, this bothered me that he recognized those two ghosts who show up in his courtroom. Because the ghosts in Ghostbusters are so cartoonishly proportioned, which is fine. That's just the way they look, but he's gonna look and on site go, oh, the- The Scaleri brothers. Yeah, the Scaleri brothers. Like, you gotta be kidding me. They also looked like they were probably like old time 1920s gangsters. Yeah. Uh. Well, they also really looked like, but uh, I'm just gonna say this and move on. It, and it's one of the things that, that I think the limitations of the time really worked in favor of the first movie versus the second, because the second movie, you can really tell that the ghosts are puppets because they're too clear and they're too crisp. The fact that they had to be blurrier in the first one to hide the seams meant they looked less like puppets. Agreed. So next character from Ghostbusters 2. It is the, I think, Deputy Mayor character Hardemeyer played by Kurt Fuller in a role that, for me, kind of defined this actor because I saw the movie at a formative age. Yeah. And it was one of those things yeah. where every time I saw him in movies or TV for the longest time, I was like, oh, it's that asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and oh, like, I just, I just hated Kurt him. Fuller. I know, I hated him on spec just because of this role. And I, I think that, I mean, for, for me, that actually, like, that, that puts a lot in his favor because of how on site unlikable this guy is. He is, I mean, he's an immediate brick wall. Yeah. Um, and, and, I mean, he does somehow get the Ghostbusters put committed. A, yeah, I, I don't actually understand how the heck he has the authority to pull that off. But in terms of le- legitimate authority, he is just an immediate brick wall. Yeah. And they know the mayor. Personally, just no. Yeah, and and he he basically he undercuts their arguments. He's very quick to like point out, but just in a very kind of like childish, degrading sort of like way, how like stupid they are. And again, it it's a fundamental problem with the second movie that everyone has just forgotten the events of the first movie. Yeah, and it doesn't even seem like he's trying to put them down to manipulate himself into a position of greater authority. It seems like he has some deep-rooted animosity towards these individual people and wants to discredit them. It feels like there's a backstory we never got. Exactly. We have no indication of what that might be or why. So that that does hurt it, but... It's, oh, he he is a, he, he, is a he does from, he does sell it. I mean, yeah, he you don't like him. No, <laughs> and you're not you're not supposed to. So now we would be remiss to not bring up the new Ghostbusters. Now there there were I think the instinct would have been again to single out the mayor or the mayor's assistant in this because they are there and they are kind of problems, but they're not deliberately being dicks. They're almost trying to be helpful, but they're so self-serving that that's the reason they're a problem. And that's not on the same level as other people. Right. There is, however, a character who is on the same level as the rest of them. Right, and it's it's interesting because it's coming from a different kind of authority that has nothing to do with the government, which is what we've seen before with Peck, uh, Hardemeyer, and the judge. The character of Martin Heiss 
played by Bill Murray, and it's hard to sort of swallow when you say that. Yeah, I know. He is the sort one of these antagonistic characters in this. He is the authority figure, in this case coming from a more learned academic semi-scholarly? I mean, however scholarly you need to be to get interviewed on cable news, which is not, <laughs> that's a low bar to clear, as, yeah. as Snopes is quick to point out to us. He is the debunker, the myth buster of sorts, uh, but again, very sort of self-serving, like glam-seeking type of... Yeah, and and I think what pushes him over into Tool, because he's he's got his initial thing, where he's, he's, just, he's just being interviewed, right. and he's just saying, no, I think this is fake, and Honestly, given what can be done and in terms of caught on video and uploaded to the internet, that's not an unreasonable thing for him to say. But it's when he shows up at their door yeah. with a camera taunting them and mocking them going, bet you can't show me a ghost, huh, huh, huh? It's like, okay, you're a dick. Yeah, and so this is where I have conflicted feelings about where he should be on this list. Uh, not not his his placement among these characters, but like in terms of a ranking order, because I hated his character and I felt like he actually hurt the movie. Like mm. the others, none of the others. I mean, as sort of one dimensional and as farcical as the judge kind of was, that didn't hurt the movie more than the movie's other flaws necessarily did. It was sort of of a piece with that. But when Bill Murray's character, again, and this it hurts to say this, but when he shows up in the reboot and starts interacting with them and, and, and doing this thing, I'm kind of like, I don't like this. I want him to leave or die or do something quickly. And he did. And he did. He, he, he obliged. <laughs> and I, I was happier when that happened, I'm sad to say. But well, yeah, I, like, I think this is where we get into character use versus character depiction. There you go. Because if we're actually going to rank them, I'm actually prepared to make the case that as a character, he is the biggest tool. Mm -hmm. And here's why, because all the other ones that we've talked about, you know, they, they've obviously got some weird personal stuff going on and they're, they're throwing more weight behind their obstructions of the Ghostbusters than is reasonable in the course of just doing their job. But it is a function of their job. Yeah. The Ghostbusters came into their crosshairs in the course of their normal duties. Even Walter Peck, I mean, he's there on, sure. on an EPA related business. Now this guy, Martin Heiss, there's no reason for him to physically show up at their offices. There's no absolute, he doesn't, it's not even like the, the cable news where like, oh, we want to get you down. He's there on his own. He is going out of his way with no prompting. The only reason he's there is to be a dick. There is no other reason for him to be there. Yeah. He's not there to serve EPA notices, but is a dick about it. He's not there to, you know, help the mayor, but is being a dick about it. He's just there to be a dick. So, I, I mean, my answer, in fact, the, the order of my list might swing completely the other way around based on what you said. Is it function in the movie or depiction? Because if, if we're going by the character's basic unlikability, by just looking at them go, oh, no, no, ugh. Then my, I think my order would be <clears throat> Martin Heiss at the top, then the judge, then Kurt Fuller's character, and then Walter Peck at the bottom. Now, here's the, here's the extra thing I want to bring up about Walter Peck, though. Mm -hmm. He's the only one to reappear in other Ghostbusters media mm. because he appeared in The Real Ghostbusters yep. in an episode called Big Trouble with Little Slimer. Okay. The titles on this show are great. Um, was this episode released before or after Big Trouble in Little China? After, of course, after. Of course. Um, <clears throat> so, 
long story made short, he's been fired from the EPA, but he's gotten in with a new agency called uh, the BUFO, Bureau for Unidentifiable Flying Organisms. And under that authority, he's been tracking Slimer. Okay. And so he's now in a completely different job with a completely different agency, but is targeting the Ghostbusters <laughs> deliberately. And is targeting Slimer, figuring that if he can get his hands on him, that'll pull them apart. So he's targeting the most vulnerable member of the team that he doesn't even know. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's had interactions with all the rest of them at least once but he's basically targeting their dog <laughs> to torture and tear them apart. Oh, um, and, and in my mind, this ups the dick quotient. He's not rocking the beard. He's just rocking the mustache. Ooh, ginger still? Yes. Ah, oh. ginger mustache. That is peck. What are you doing? <laughs> Well, so then, I mean, that goes to the other criteria. If we're talking about integration and how they're used within the story, their effectiveness as characters, as plot contrivances or plot hurdles, Peck is at the top of my list. Yeah, I think, and it, I think it goes the reverse. Then, yeah. then it would be Peck, Hardemeyer, the judge, and then Martin Heiss at the end. Yeah, I think I think I think you I think you've nailed it. I think the order completely reverses depending on whether we're talking about how well this asshole character functions yeah. in the story and as a narrative device and as an obstacle versus just how big of an asshole they are and how much you hate them. Because then it kind of flicks. Even Peck, who's very hateable, he's hateable in a fun way. He's so much fun to again, hate that guy. Credit William Atherton for that. Because, again, same thing with Die Hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, he was so good. I, fe I feel really bad for him, though, because he used to have people hollering at him <laughs> on the street for, like, like, 20 years after that movie. Oh... But he was so good, though. No, he was. So, well, I mean, I think that's where we're going to come down in this discussion. It's it, I mean, we could we could have two different subcategories of yeah. this: hateable dicks, just guys you don't like. In which case, I think it's we got Martin Heiss at the top, and then Florenberg versus you know biggest kind of tool, but is actually functionally useful for the enjoyment of the story, the enjoyment of the movie. Yeah. It's not an obstacle for our characters, but it makes the movie more, more it, it makes it, it makes it a better story as opposed to being the part of the story you wish was over. Right, and in that case, it, it goes flips. to the first, the best, the greatest tool, Walter Peck. Peck. Dickless. <laughs> All right, that is going to end our main conversation for this one, but we're not done yet. Right now, we're going to take another promotional break, play some ads for some of our friends on the network, and then after that, another installment of We've Got One. that brought you Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, Who's Who 87, Who's Who and Star Trek, and eventually the rest of the episodes of Who's Who and the Legion of Superheroes, comes Who's Who in Transformers. Better half of the hosting duo, Rob Kelly, brings you Who's Who in Transformers. He goes it alone, taking a look at such classic characters as that box, that other box, that box that looks like a car. That one human, I think, had a name. Some other box. A box that I think was evil. Maybe another box that could turn into a dinosaur. I don't know. It's Who's Who and Transformers. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. The Transformers. More than meets the eye. The Transformers. 
Meanwhile, at stately Franklin Manor, home of the Supermates... Man, why won't these Justice League Unlimited figures stand up? I mean, how tiny are their ankles? Jeez, who is it now? I live out in the sticks. Why do I keep getting... Oh, uh... Hey, Grundy. Solomon Grundy won't know if you got microphone. Uh, well, yeah, I do those podcasts for the Fire and Water Net. That's why Grundy here. Grundy want to do show. Join Fire and Water Podcast Network. Well, um, I'll have to run it by the guys. Rob, Siskoid, Shag. Grundy don't care. Solomon Grundy's stronger than Shag. Well, that's not really that impressive, Grundy, honestly. But you can't just... Grundy got idea for new show. Solomon Grundy, show on a Monday. Okay, well, Monday's usually Ryan's day for midnight or nightcast. Grundy no care. Solomon Grundy want to unbutton his mind and share his deep thoughts. Uh, so what were you planning on talking about? Grundy talk about life in swamp. Knocking Green Lantern around with a stick. Flirting with Jade. She's hot. Wrestling gators, eating frogs. Hey, what you eating for supper? Well, uh, I think Cindy's cooking Sloppy Joe's tonight. Sloppy Joe! Grundy kill him in 1948, I think. Where's your woman? Woman! Uh, Grundy, uh, I wouldn't do that. What's with all the shot? Oh, it's you. Um, honey, I think Grundy, well, uh, he's inviting himself to dinner. Solomon Grundy hungry! Woman, do your job and feed Grundy! Oh, no, you didn't. Ow! Ow, you hurt Grundy. You hit harder than that pill popper owl man. Grundy know when he ain't wanting. Grundy leaving. Well, bye. Don't let the door hit your zombie butt with a good lord split you on the way out. Uh, uh, so long, Grundy. No hard feelings. Grundy come back later when she ain't around. Save me a sandwich. Solomon Grundy showing a Monday. Coming this fall to the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Greetings and welcome to Silent Pinions, the Jericho and Northwind podcast. I am your host, Professor Mortimer Claptrap, and we have a special episode for you today. For we have in the studio, for an exclusive interview, the one and only Joseph Wilson, best known as Jericho, the body-possessing mutant from the New Teen Titans. Welcome, Mr. Wilson. I trust you're doing well today? Oh, very good. Thank you. Let's get right to it. Why don't we begin by addressing the elephant in the room, as it were, shall we? As a mute comic book character, adverse to the use of thought balloons whatsoever, many comic book professionals find you to be an artistic challenge, given the fact that you must convey your thoughts and feelings through sign language, facial expressions, and body language. How do you respond to this criticism? Aha. Aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Fascinating. 
It just so happens that we have a live feed from the blue area on the moon, direct from the ruler of the inhuman city of Atalan, the one and only Black Bolt. Welcome to Silent Pinions, Mr. Bolt. How are you today? Splendid. Now then, while you, Mr. Bolt, are not technically a mute character, your inhuman ability to harness electrons is linked to the speech center of your brain, and as a result, even the slightest whisper on your part can trigger a devastating shockwave that could destroy an entire city, and thus you do not speak by choice. And I understand that you are also adverse to thought balloons, and thus have to express yourself via signing, facial expressions, and body language as well. Do you thus consider yourself to be a comic book artistic challenge? You don't say. You don't say. You don't say. You don't say. Mr. Wilson, your response? I see. I see. I see. All right, we're back and we've got one more segment. We've got one. This is the segment where we each bring to the table a ghost sighting, a paranormal encounter, something that the Ghostbusters would be called to investigate. What is this place? What is its significance in, it could be history, it could be pop culture, it could be our own personal anecdotes, and what type of ghost would the Ghostbusters get involved with there? We haven't done this on every episode. It's sort of been almost consistently like an every third episode type of thing. But, it's uh, basically what we remember, but yeah, that's been how it's called. <laughs> so I, I'm going to take this one first, and I, I Having gone, you know, going the obvious route and saying have them bust Patrick Swayze, having having got, done that last time, um, I'm going to go real world on this. And I'm going to go real world to a place I, in fact, have been and is local to us. Now, there is a covered bridge in, I don't think it's in Stowe proper, but it's near Stowe huh? called Gold Hollow Bridge. I've heard of it. It's colloquially known as Emily's Bridge. And you can probably guess why. So there is there is a presence, there is a ghost there. Um, it believed to be a young woman named Emily. How verifiable this is historically, it's very iffy. Um, the story that it supposedly is is one of those things where it's possible, but there isn't a lot of evidence to back it up, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen kind of thing. Because supposedly she committed suicide uh -huh. on that bridge. Um, some versions she threw herself into the river. Some versions she hung herself from the rafters. I'm sorry, hanged herself. She's not a piece of clothing. <laughs> um, but in in either case, if if she did take her own life, it's this would have been like seven or early 1800s, like at a time when those sort of records were kept by families as opposed to public records, so yeah. something families might not have owned up to. But it is not uncommon for people to report lights, to report a whispering voice. She seems to have a distaste for men. And again, that's just going by sort of collected anecdotal evidence. Now, so as I said, actually. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, I've actually been there, and while I hesitate to say I had an encounter, I was really unnerved standing on that bridge. And what did happen that 
was weird was I just kind of had a moment standing there where just it, it was almost oddly hypnotic, but for some reason, like, because if you're standing on that bridge, the, the river underneath, it's a fast-flowing riv river. Mm -hmm. It's loud as hell, and it's reverberating all around you because you're, you're on a covered bridge. Right. It's just echoing all around. But I remember standing there and just kind of looking around, and this was at night because I was in college and really dumb. <laughs> um, I just remember the sound. It was like the sound of the river. Somebody took the volume knob and just started slowly turning it down. Mm. And it just became a weird background hum. And as it took me a, a couple of seconds to realize that was happening. But as I did, I, I basically had a nope and <laughs> got off that bridge really quickly before I heard something else to replace the sound that I was losing. Because I didn't want to hear it. But I, I would send the Ghostbusters there, please. Please cleanse that bridge, because doing us all a favor. She, she is not nice. <laughs> oh, that is a good one. That is a good one. And locally, yeah, yeah, that's a good. One. Um, well, as usual, I went the completely opposite direction, mm -hmm. uh, and I went for fun, something that I would love to see in the movie. Um, in a couple of weeks, we uh, I not celebrating, but honoring the one year passing of Prince, one of my favorite musical artists. God rest his heels. Yeah. Um, do you remember what year the first Ghostbusters came out? Uh, it was 84. Do you remember what other movie came out that year? I have a hunch where you're going with this. Uh, I'm going to say Purple Rain. Purple Rain. Probably came out that year. Came out that year as well. And it's sort of in honor of Prince's passing and kind of putting together that those two movies came together, I would like to see some story where the Ghostbusters go to the First Avenue nightclub in Minneapolis, a <laughs> setting where Prince performed in Purple Rain. And it's being haunted by his ghost, and they go in there, and it's almost sort of like the the end of uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. They just have an occasion where they all get up on stage with the ghost of Prince, and maybe he possesses them, and they all start dancing and performing that album together. A Ghostbusters Purple Rain crossover. <laughs> that, that, that would be... Uh, that, that's what I want to see. So. I... I can't say you're wrong. <laughs> wow, so that that's a heck of a note to end on. <laughs> and to end on it, we shall. Um, that is going to be it for this episode of Crossing the Streams, the Ghostbusters podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in and listening. As always, I'm Ryan Daly. I'm Nathaniel Wayne. And we will catch you again next time.
In a world where conflicting comic book podcasts threaten to plunge the interwebs into chaos. Oh yes, I'm on to your cunning scheme. It's a joke. Oh, it's a joke. Well, it's next a time make it funny, my friend. Tasked with a hyperbolic mission they were not expected to survive. Is that what that was? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Only two egos will be able to bring balance and harmony. Dun dun dun! Really? Ugh. I don't really care what your opinion is. I'm going to do it my way anyway. It's a pain in the butt. I gotta deal with this jackass again. Shut up. If they can get along. Looking up Thanos. <laughs> I'm looking at I looked it up on Wikipedia. Well, I was trying I to figure out how, like, early it was. Like, I just told you, four years. No, I meant, like, how many appearances years. he'd had before. Oh, never mind. I, I never liked you. Ever. From the people that brought you everything nice, a Sugar and Spike podcast. <laughs> on you. <laughs> Aqua Rob. He's always been kind of a mort. He's pretty much a mort. V. Wait a minute. That was a dig at me, dick. I just got that. <laughs> Fire Shag. I don't care. Oh. What a jerk. Coming to media players everywhere the 13th of September on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm tired of talking about you, to be quite honest. So it's. I've had enough. I'm tired of hearing uh, about <laughs> I hate you so much. <laughs> when fire and water collide, things get steamy. Is that a euphemism for sex? <laughs> Look it up. <sighs> really? I gotta go to Urban Dictionary for this? But Yogi... You mumbled something, boob? You know the rules. No feeding the park bears. Yeah, that's a good rule. Any bear who can't feed himself from a picnic basket deserves to go hungry. The ranger isn't gonna like this, Yogi. Uh, what he can't see can't hurt him. <laughs> Give us a hand, Boob. Okay, okay, Yogi. This basket's a fat one. Yikes! Gosh, I don't understand what's going on. 